They told me I could only be a custodian. They told me I could only be a police officer. They told me I could only be a lawyer. Doctor. Performer. Financier. Sex worker. Engineer. Warrior. Programmer. Pilot. Doctor. Performer. Financier. Sex worker. Doctor. Engineer. They told me I could only be a hell diver. We're done being told who we can be. Jeremy, today is a day of great anticipation for all. All Red Rising fans are clamoring, clapping their hands, saying, please, when are you going to talk about Lysander? When? <laughs> today is that day. Lysander Alunde. I feel like there's some cynicism in that comment. I don't know why, because <laughs> I do feel that way. I am excited about Lysander. Yeah. What's, what's, throw, the, what's throw the cards on the table then? <laughs> all right. We are excited to talk about this character, genuinely because we find this character absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, in previous conversations, we, we've, man, we just actually finished having a conversation about Lysander before we talked on the podcast, before we put the hot mics on. And in the past, you know, I mean, last week you were talking about how much you like Lysander because he's like a puzzle piece or like a puzzle to you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, aside from being probably the most polarizing character you, easily <laughs> you, you meet people who enjoy him and you meet people who just absolutely despise him yeah um yeah so when i was telling you that i feel like lysander and his pov are like a puzzle it's because like when i think of the majority of the characters right I, it doesn't matter if you take severo or you take darrow or virginia it doesn't really matter they're all extremely well-written. We've talked many times about how good Pierce's character writing is, how good his prose is, all of this stuff. But that doesn't mean that I can't anticipate like their arc. I can't see where they're going. And I don't think Pierce is trying to hide it. Mm-hmm. I think we understand what Darrow's trying to do, what everyone in society is trying to do and play their part. I do not feel that way about Lysander. He is the one character that I read. Um, I think more poignant to, of course, Iron Gold would be like looking at Lyria or Ephraim. But I don't think that I've ever looked at Lysander and knew where Pierce is steering this character. Yeah. Um, there have been a lot of debates on, is there a redemption arc? Yeah. Uh, is he really evil incarnate? Um, wow, yeah. And I don't think there's an answer. I don't think anyone knows because he is a big puzzle box. He is a giant question mark. And getting these clues about him, how he thinks, watching these influences from every different angle impact him and just watching just this young man kind of grow up into himself and make these decisions about life uh, just leaves you questioning exactly where he's going to go. It's fun to be on the journey of watching a character grow up again. We got that with Darrow very, you know, in the, in the earlier books. So we get to kind of see his formation and who and what formed him for the better and for worse. 
and you get to do that and kind of have that experience all over again, you have all these forces that kind of, he's, he's basically, the way I look at Life Center in the Iron Gold book is that he's kind of almost collecting his own personal doctrine and kind of like trying to decipher it for himself, trying to put it all into his own puzzle, I guess, to you kind of borrow <laughs> your own, like, and kind of figure out the pieces fit. Because he has this influence of Cassius, which is a great influence on his life, his uh, 10 years of being with this, with the amazing man that Cassius is, trying to show him and shape him in the worldview that Cassius has. And then in the book, like, as the book progresses in Iron Gold, you see him look at the Ra family, look at Romulus and Diomedes and see this code of honor that is kind of embedded in him from his earlier days as a child spring back to life and come forward and how that influences him and how he kind of collects the pieces of that. He's interesting because I feel in this book, because he's a young man that's trying to figure out where he's going, he's kind of having a little bit of an identity crisis and he's, you see that push and pull, you see those both sides kind of winning at times. You know, he says in this book five times, Cassius was right or something like that. But I know for, I'm pretty sure for certain that he says it verbatim, like the sentence, Cassius was right, Mm -hmm. I think three to four times. And then there's another time that's the same sentiment expressed in a different way. But I really see Lysander as this interesting window. You have a lot of representation uh, in the story through the other POVs of what it looks like for Red. And, and in many senses, Lyria is that baton handoff from Darrow, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Red identity is gone after the first trilogy. And so Lyria is able to carry that super low color yeah. um, identity on. And then we talked about Ephraim really having access to the everyday man. Mm-hmm. And you just have these, he also accesses like this power grab from the syndicate. You have the power grab in this vacuum we've talked about on a previous episode as well from the New Republic, from the core remnant, right? And and there's all these ideas out there. And what you start to see here is these influences, particularly from, I think, the rim of this sort of like lukewarm flavor, right? He, He says... Um, he sees how pinks are treated. He sees how reds are treated. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't think there's honor in that, right? He thinks that's wrong. Yeah. But he also has this identity that like, when I was young, like things worked. We're in a 10-year war now. Yeah. Right? And there's all these ideas that he like rejects and says, you know, essentially Darrow got this wrong. He plunged us into chaos. And um, this reformer idea of, of where he falls. And I think the window that he serves from Pierce on where to look in this story really is that sort of middle ground, one foot in, one foot out of the water on, um, do we want to f- crush society and start over or was society in fact a good thing? Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I was saving this for later. You brought it up and I feel like it's a good lead in. So like, as we know, in the Iron Gold, the relationship of Cassius and Lysander is basically a deteriorating one because the influences when he finally gets introduced to the Ra family, it just snares his heart in a lot of ways. He can't fully escape Cassius and his influence and the love that he has for him and the brotherhood they have, but it starts to crumble. There's a part in chapter 40, I think chapter 40 and 41 are are two of the better chapters in the Lysander story for me, if not the two best, because it's the whole it leads into the whole, the duel, like my name is Cassius Albalona, my honor remains, and that part just so freaking awesome. It's just a fan, you know, not not as a, <laughs> uh, someone has to wants to talk about these books in these deep ways. It's just more so just like, I love that that uh, series of fights that we have, that we get to see. But here we go. There's a quote, this is 
Cassius, excuse me, this is Lysander talking to Cassius about kind of his mindset. Like you just mentioned, kind of talking about what you see and like how he blames Darrow and it doesn't work. He says, you don't sleep, you drink, you preach and hunt pirates. We've never been in one place more than a month. You think that is because you're protecting me? You think that's because you have a sacred duty to save merchants who chose to risk the belt to lie in their own pockets? Stop lying to yourself for one gory damn moment and admit that you made a mistake. You let the wolves to the door. Being a good man won't fix what you've done. Neither will suspending yourself in a state of constant motion. There is no atonement except for killing the wolves, shutting the door, and reestablishing order. That is how we make things better than they are now. It's how we can fix the worlds. Mm. I think uh, I think that says it all. So I guess we'll go home. Yeah. Hey, Hail Reaper, Hail Reaper. Later. No, I, I mean, that's in jest. But really, I think this quote is packed full of exactly where Lysander is standing. Um, this idea of the, the threshold that he is on that will indicate where his life goes is really encompassed in this. And not to follow a quote up with a quote, but I'm going to do exactly that. I think this reformer idea that Lysander, that others and future characters actually buy into was best actually summarized by Pierce through Mickey uh, in book one. It's one of my favorite quotes because it, it's just, it explains so much about mm. what these people believe. Uh, it's mankind was always enslaved, they'll say. Freedom enslaves us to lust, to greed. Take freedom away and they give you a life of dreaming. They gave you a life of sacrifice, family, community, this, and society is stable. There's no famine, no genocide, no great wars. And he goes on. But this idea of what Mickey is espousing here is one that there's no such thing as liberty, that you cannot actually be free mm-hmm. and that you will always serve a master. And what Mickey wants to do is serve the best master. And so if you flip that and give this idea, the same exact idea to Lysander, right? Mickey talks about famine, genocide, uh, and great wars. Uh, do those three things sound at all familiar about the second series? <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's, the, it's epitomizing the second series. It is. Yeah. And he's saying that these things didn't exist when there was structure and order and the peerless scarred reigned supreme overall mm-hmm. uh, with slavery intact. None of this happened. And so Lysander is looking at this. He's looking at his youth. He's looking at, at everything that was taught to him from his, from his grandmother, from Aja. And he's saying, well, he doesn't know Mickey, but he's saying like, Mickey has it right here, yeah. right? This, this sort of like oppressed mid-color idea of at least I have food on the table. At least I'm not stuck in a 10-year war and the red hand is on the doorstep, like ready to murder me and my family at a whim. Lysander's taking all of this, this bleakness, this, like we talk a lot about the question, right? And it's like, what is the cost of liberty and who bears it? And, and that's what Lysander's looking at. And as a reformer, he wants to take that middle ground and say, this isn't right. Like if I can be the right master because of my lineage, because of, because of my ability to inherit the throne, or at least he thinks this, like he can be that good master and he can reinstitute this order, this slavery, but in a good way, right? Yeah. And this is him 
thinking and talking, yeah. not me. And that's where he wants to land. That, that This is that reformer idea. Just kind of going off of what you said, the more I read the POV of Lysander, which I actually read an additional time. And this one, we're doing our like iron gold kind of prep. I okay. went and just read his POV one additional time. I'm just trying to still understand him. Hmm. I'm trying to wrap my minds around his mind and his thought process of thinking. And I'm just left with more questions and answers. And I think a lot of people would just kind of jump like, well, he's a douchebag and that's the only answer <laughs> you need. And you know, yeah. you're, you're not wrong. Right. <laughs> you're not wrong. But it's not what I think Pierce is trying to get at with his character. I don't think he's just wanting us to just hate him blindly and, and, and just be done with it and not give him any credit or credence. We need to examine this character and, and, and ask, why does he think that he's able to have slavery in a good way? Why does he have an ultimate belief in the pyramid and the structure of it and how it has reds on the bottom and golds on top, but he can do it in some sort of noble way? And he's seen it demonstrated in the most minute ways possible with like Lorne, his grandfather back in the day, or the Ra family through Romulus. These characters that we like, characters that we like when we reread these books, we're like, isn't Lorne dope? Isn't Romulus cool? But like, they're slavers. Right. Like, why do we think that? Why do we give them credit? Why do we give them praise? Why do we even have, I've seen people tattoos of these characters, yet they were slavers. Why do we do that for them and not Lysander in that same way? Yeah, he's kind of a douche, like I said. Yeah, he's kind of a problematic dude. Yeah, but weren't these other characters the same thing? Were they not wicked in that way? I don't really understand that. I'm, I'm trying to always wrap my mind. I'm, I'm processing with you right now, Jeremy. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leading anything. I'm processing. <laughs> But there's this one quote here in chapter 63. This is the last chapter that Lysander's in. Uh, this is his final POV chapter in Iron Gold. And I believe it's Dido who says, then what are you? He says this, what am I? I have been asking this of myself for a decade or more. Little has been certain since my grandmother fell. I looked out at the worlds in flux in constant motion beneath my feet, denying me a foundation filling me with uncertain fear. I do not know my own heart. No matter the shifting of the worlds, I know the bedrock of my soul. I know the foundation upon which I stand and no longer fear my blood. Just because my grandmother was a tyrant does not mean I will be. I see the faces of those I left behind on the Vendabona. They need a protector, a shepherd. I know who I am, or at least who I want to become. He thinks of himself as a shepherd. He thinks of himself as, as a noble person that can lead and foster and care for these Mickeys of the world, like yeah. you were saying, those mid colors and low colors and do it honorably and nobly, but yet still enslave them. Like, mm -hmm. I don't get that. I don't get it. But he has something here that he's trying to tell me and Pierce is trying to tell me that there's a deep seated belief in this quote. I feel that belief that he can do it, but history has never shown me World history has never shown me that this is a possibility. Yeah, I think with the quote, the Dido quote and the word shepherd, two things really came to mind. I think, I think first, this ultimate power, this ultimate ability to uh, enact order in society uh, reminds me a lot of the one ring to rule them all <laughs> from, from Lord of the Rings. Because Frodo. As it continues on its journey with Frodo, uh, he's said to be the only person that could ring actually, bear. like the ring bearer, yeah, the only one who could actually f do this job because mm -hmm. of its influence. 
And all of these characters, Boromir probably is the greatest example, want the power for themselves because they believe that they can do good with it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, this the ring itself is evil. <laughs> like yeah. That's the point of the entire book series, is that the ring must be destroyed. It, it, you cannot wield evil to enact good. So initially, that is what came to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but the word shepherd is fascinating. And, and I'm glad you brought it up. I know you brought it from a quote, so it's not yours, but good job anyway. Hey, oh, thanks, Pierce. Um, and it gives me this idea of like these sort of pangs of history that Pierce continues to give us. And we, and we talk about them a lot. You know, nothing is new. And so the future will also be. There's nothing going to be new in the future. It's all going to be recycled um, things on the cyclical wave that continue to happen just in different ways. Yeah. And I think of these of these times that Lysander finds himself in, wanting to be the shepherd. And I think of particularly, I mean, there's probably a lot of examples, but the ones I think of are post-World War I Germany, where the Treaty of Versailles, whatever you think about it, um, but the economic disaster that was used in Germany in order to essentially dismantle it and try to keep it from gaining power again, crippled the people. And many historians obviously believe that that is what gave rise to Hitler. Mm-hmm. And he used some of the same things, right? Like, look at what Darrow did. Look at what these allies came and did to our country and to our people. And we are great people. We have a great bloodline, right? I mean, yeah. kind of creepy talking about it's, Hitler. I don't yeah. want to, but no, like. But it's it With that gold thing, that, that bloodline is so tough. The gins thing and like all these different bloodline conversations come up and even like as you look into dark age like bloodline um as you get a bigger look into license or pov bloodline matters so much to these people yeah and it's like the more pain you inflict the more chaos we talked about chaotic neutral right this Mm -hmm. entire world is essentially chaotic neutral and liberty brings on that chaos and it's like the more there is the more gravitational pull toward order in society, toward that Hitlerian view of, of uh, great bloodlines and power uh, there tends to be. We also see this, you know, in, in the very end of the Romanov dynasty in Russia, um, when uh, Vladimir Lenin and shortly after him, Stalin, which is probably the better example of a totalitarian leader uh-huh. uh, out of the two of them. But the same kind of thing, there was starvation in Russia. There was po- extreme poverty. I mean, brought about by essentially mismanagement of a monarchy. This led to this uprising, this establishment of power that was then wielded in the wrong way, but but supposedly for the right cause. And and so between these two things, right, between these Stalins and these Hitlers um, and many others in, in history, you see Lysander, or at least I do, in very much the same way. He's looking at the pain. He's looking at the cost of liberty and what's before him and the chaos. And he's saying, no, like my people are great. My bloodline is a clean, good bloodline. We had order. We had all these things that Mickey espoused, no great wars, no famine. And I can bring this back. I can be the one to wield the ring <laughs> for good oh, this wow. time. Right? Tied it all so together. There you go. Okay. Golf clap. <laughs> Let's give it up. Um. <laughs> I want to go a little different direction, though. It's something I've been wanting to talk to you about in regards to Lysander. Last time we had Pierce on, we talked to him and we, we were going back and forth, obviously, or just we're chit-chatting about 
Red Rising. And it wasn't until I was making some of our videos that are on YouTube channel, like just kind of some like clips of Pierce talking about some of the stuff we were talking about with the docs of Ganymede. And he has this like essentially one-liner that and this conversation that I just missed in the moment. But through my editing, I saw it clearly. I, I felt it. I heard it. I really heard it, you know? Pierce has this line that he told us. He says, in the end, the series is about one thematic question. Do you submit to fear? That's what Dark Age is all about. That's what Iron Gold is all about. Do you submit to fear and inconvenience? Is it worth it for all the sacrifice? And I was just like, dang, like what a what an epic thought from Pierce. Like what a good nugget from the creator of this world. And in all my annotations, which I have so much of in the Lysander POV and Iron Gold, I started recently going back and just looking for that. I saw the word fear so many times in Lysander POV, especially by comparison. I saw the word afraid a lot. I saw the word dread a lot. He has this fear that is gripping him so often in these pivotal moves of his story. He is I think exactly what Pierce is talking about. For me, when I when I hear what Pierce that quote about, do you submit to fear? That's what the second series is all about, essentially. The character that instantly think of now, inescapably, is Lysander. I think that this idea that Pierce brings up about fear is so closely related to that same idea of the cost of liberty. Because the cost uh, is often feared, <laughs> right? Yeah. And when we say like, and who bears that cost, you could look at the end of Pierce's quote, you know, is it worth all the sacrifice required? Well, whose sacrifice is the greatest when you embrace liberty? Like if you look at sort of this construct of the pyramid of society, the reds have everything to gain. Mm -hmm. And as you go up, the peerless have everything to lose. And that's not bad, of course, but yeah, but they do. And you find, again, the Mickey or the Ephraim or something kind of sandwiched in between. And that that's what makes them fun enigmas to study and, and to think deeply about. But the cost of the liberty, we, I think we often think of the red hand is certainly that's a cost of liberty, right? Certainly yeah. the chaos and, and the lives and, and everything in that is a cost of that. But like the fear aspect of those repercussions is most felt by these peerless. Um, this is why you have the core remnant. This is why you have Lysander thinking deeply about what we've talked about, not or desiring to go back to what his grandmother had, but do it in a civil sort of honorable way. Mm -hmm. And it's all based on fear. This is why what you said is so pertinent here. It's like the continual just thudding of like a drum of fear, fear, fear throughout his POV is his internal mind dealing with this. It's like, what if I lose my standing? What if I lose my wealth? What if I lose the respect of my name loon? Yeah. Uh, I could lose my servants. I could lose my ships. I could lose everything. He's not wanting to, obviously. Yeah. He, he's just, he can't see himself taking that step that Cassius has. Because Cassius has given up everything now. Everything. Like he is disowned. He's done. He has- Hated by everyone. Yep. Everyone, like the people on the Rising hate Cassius because of he killed Ares. And people from his own society hate Cassius. He is just isolated on his own. And I mean, obviously Lysander is afraid of being that too. And I think that quote you 
read earlier, his sort of judgment of Cassius in this moment has something to do with this idea and where this fear is coming from. It's like, you're roaming around essentially nameless. Like, yeah, you're a Bologna, but now that means nothing at all yeah. because you're dead to everyone. And I could be if I side with you, right? And yeah. there's on uh, there's obviously that pool there. In many ways, <laughs> like like an old like Bugs Bunny cartoon or something. Wow, okay, here we I go. See, I, I see Lysander with like the Cassius angel and uh, I don't know, Atalantia. You can put somebody on the other yeah. shoulder as the devil, yeah. <laughs> right? And they're whispering and, and fighting for Lysander's mind. And in the end, he just isn't willing to give up everything. Yeah. And he's he has like, so little in this book anyway, because no one even knows he's alive. Yeah. But he's still afraid. And he's like, if I'm found with you, the loon name will be besmirched almost, right? Like, like yeah. right now, I still have a chance. I've just been missing in action. If I sort of resurface as a loon, as heir to the throne, I can still make something of myself. I can still have all of my possessions. I will not be in that camp of Cassius who's given it all up. Uh, and, and I think that this is the emotion, as Pierce would say, the lack of his willingness to sacrifice these things. Uh, that is ultimately um, driving some of these ideas. And and I don't think he's fully bought in, right? He, he's not a Grimace character yet. Like he's not yeah. there. But again, I put him on the precipice of these decisions and um, we know his trajectory as it is. But because of the question marks that are bound that I love so much about the, the puzzling character that he mm -hmm. is, I can still be hopeful. I will no longer fear my name. My name is Lysander Alun. I bellow into the cold room. I did not know what weight my name still had, but the seismic tremor that now shakes the room brings chills to my flesh and deep, powerful pride. Hate my grandmother all they like. The blood of my veins came from Solinius, the Lightbringer, greatest of our kind. It is the myth of my ancestors these people wrapped themselves in. The first raw elected Solinius sovereign. They bowed to him as did the raw thereafter until this generation. Serafina almost drops her razor. Her jaw hangs open. Dido curses under her breath and leans back in her seat, unable to comprehend it. Diomedes stands, a look of childish awe on his grave face. Man, I think that pretty well sums up that idea. This is something that because he's been missing, because the loon name hasn't been tarnished the way that Cassius has tarnished the Bologna name, mm -hmm. it still brings this reverence and awe in a hierarchical society, in a caste system. Of course, if you walked into to a mine, right, into into a bunch of reds, yeah, I, I mean, they know what an, what a loon is, but I, I don't think you get this reverence from your peers, not like like, that. like what he's getting right mm -hmm. now, because ultimately, uh, in a liberated society, in a free society. Who cares if you're a loon? Who cares what your bloodline is? <laughs> like, yeah. so what if you go back to Selenius the Lightbringer? Like, what have you done? What, what do you bring to society? Yeah. He rests his laurels on his name a lot. Mm. I think that feels like it grants him some sort of superpower. Now, you and I talk about, I know we love talking about superpowers <laughs> and, and ter in terms of like what these people bring to their story, their superpower, like, you know, Severo's love or Darrow's compassion, Mustang's intellect or whatever their Ragnar's altruism. We love talking about superpowers. The One of the biggest problems with Lysander is he believes his name is a superpower in some ways. He's been holding on to it. He's like, 
you know, kind of like almost like goes Super Saiyan, Dragon Ball Z, right? And he says his name, it's like, ah, like, boom, like, respect me, like, look at me. And and he gets that reaction. He gets what he's kind of looking for and wanting. He says he has tremors on his flesh. Like, he's able to say his name out loud for the first time in 10 years. But I think that feels like it gives him something that he he's earned already. And he and that that's such a kid-like thing. That's such a foolish thing to, like, a 20-year-old <laughs> thinking they have it all figured out, saying something like that. And I, I think that that's one of those knocks against Lysander. We look at him and we're like, what a dummy. Mm. What a childish goofball. He is that. He is a dummy and a childish goofball. He's a lot of other good qualities, but he has some really goofy ones because he's trying to figure it all out. He's young. He's impre- He's clearly incredibly impressionable. Look at what Serafina did to him. And he just doesn't really... He still doesn't know. You look at a character like Darrow who knows the realities all too well and has a depression over it. And then Lysander, like all this weird hopefulness, there's the foils that they are to each other. is so extreme in this book and even in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. This is obviously one of those Lysander moments that is a big knock, like you said, against him. It reminds me of uh, when the, that knucklehead 20-something kid gets pulled over, gets himself in legal trouble. And it's like the very first thing out of his mouth is like, do you know who my dad is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, my dad happens to be the mayor or the police commissioner yeah. or a wealthy business owner in the area that that yeah. pays a lot of taxes and brings jobs to the area. Yeah. It's like, uh, who cares, kid? The, right. But I think the the indictment here, if there is one, is almost like it certainly is against Lysander, but how much more is it in my, at least in my mind, to those who do hold the reverence? It's like, they should laugh at him and put him in his place in that moment, right? Yeah, so what? Cool. But the way this society is built, the way that everything is structured in these systems of order, in these systems of hierarchy, uh, lend to exactly that, right? Your name, your bloodline, it it does mean everything. And, And I'm just glad, like, in our perspective outside of these things, <laughs> uh, it's just such foolishness. Yeah. It just, it, it's like this cool line that I love that also feels foolish. Yeah. It's interesting. And I think that's kind of what I feel about Lysander. Mm-hmm. He feels foolish, but I also really like reading about him. Yet I disagree with his entire method. Like, everything he thinks, I fundamentally disagree with. I hope all of us do. I hope none of us believe in totalitarianism and, <laughs> yeah. and, and slavery and order and bloodlines to this extent, which I think is incredibly dehumanizing. And, and I think it's r- the root of evil in a lot of ways too. But putting that aside, if you can, and just thinking about it from his perspective and the way he grew up and the way he sees the world and what has shaped him, like it's just an interesting thought process for you to experiment and dabble with. Like if we bring our own worldview onto the character, which I do, you know, in times of reading, of course he's a jackass and I don't like, I don't agree with him and I don't like him and that way. But if I just kind of like try to look a little more objectively and kind of go like, man, this is just a, he's a very confused person. He thinks he has it figured out, but look at all the things he has wrong and look at, but, but also man, like, look what happened to him. Like he saw his grandmother get murdered right in front of him. He saw his, his, one of his caretakers murdered right in front of him. He saw his, he just saw absolute destruction, disorder, chaos, Going back to Mickey's quote, like you've talked about, look at all the things that he's just seen. Like, man, this just doesn't work. I don't know. Like, I I, I want to try to be objective as a story reader. It's hard to be because of how flawed he is, but 
it is fun to try to think about it from those different angles, even just to entertain them for a moment. Yeah, I like that you consider Lysander a bit of a thought experiment. And I think he certainly is. And I think he's an accessible one because if you try to get in the mind of, like we already said, like a grimace, you're reluctant to, there's no real redeeming anything in there. But Harmony. Think, Harm- Harmony doesn't get enough hate. Yeah. <laughs> She's the worst. She is, she is the worst. She's way worse than Lysander to me, but keep going. But at least with Lysander, you have potential, right? You have this ability for the redemption arc. And, and I think anyone who wants proper thought, wants to be a good thinker, should reflect very, very heavily on their opponent's greatest argument. Mm-hmm. And Lysander gives us an opportunity to do that. Right? He gives us an opportunity to look at the horrific things that Liberty has brought, that Darrow has brought. Um, in his mind, the wolf was let in mm-hmm. and is ravishing the hen house. And that's a decent argument. But I think if you step back and you give the other side its due, um, like Liberty is not a clean thing that order brings that, right? But order also brings enslavement. Order also brings just such a, a deadening of people's autonomy and their agency in their lives. Mm-hmm. It's like a brief reprieve. You know, you can trade your freedom, your, your essential freedoms for like a brief reprieve of suffering. But in the long run, it's going to be a lot worse. And I think human nature has seen in the, and again, these cyclical patterns of like with the disorder, with chaos, with hurt, with pain um, that we see in, in free societies throughout the world, mm-hmm. there is a slow kind of gravitational pull toward order for these reasons, because it can, at least in the short term, alleviate these sufferings. But with anything, you know, it, alcohol, whatever have you, everything in moderation is, is okay. Like you can't have a, an anarchy. Like that's not what we're, that's not what, that's what, not we're what EO wanted here. either, right? No. That's not the dream of EO. It's not anarchy. And so of course there's going to be a, a level of order to society. And I, and I think that's what the Republic is establishing here. But uh, I think Lysander in his youth and his um, ignorance, right? And in his fear is ignoring the need for a slight bit of order uh, to bring about uh, flourishing in a free society. And he's just focusing on those as negatives and yeah. looking to his history and saying, no, like an abundance of order is what's going to bring this, uh, uh, bring us prospering again. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about all four POVs in this book, 10 years is not a lot of time. It's not. When you think about building something from the ground up, if you think about taking the, to a hammer to the society and what it was and what it stood for and how many hundreds of years that it stood and was working despite how evil it was working. Then you just go, it's been a decade. Cool. Everything works. No, like <laughs> it doesn't work. Like everyone has an issue with like Darrow has an issue with the Republic because it doesn't allow him to function the way he wants to function. It has, uh, the Republic has let Lyria down in some of the most deep, the deepest ways. Uh, Ephraim, it's done the same and just in different ways. And then Lysander is looking at like the global picture of like, look how much more worse off we are. But it's like, no one in any of these POVs is asking the question like, you know what? 10 years just isn't, it's not a question, it's more of a thought. Like 
10 years just isn't that long of a time. And we kind of just need a while to get this, this train on the tracks. And there's a fear that if it keeps going, will it cause more harm than good? And Lysander is like thinking that. It's going to cause more harm than good if we let it keep going. So I got to get in front of it. I think that uh, in a way, Darrow's questioning that same thing too, which is a like, weird commonality thing they might have. I don't know, do you agree with that? Do you think Darrow's questioning the, the good that the Republic really is, like, like Lysander? I think to a degree, but um, I'm more fixated on your 10-year thing because I think I think that's very fair and dead on. I mean, we've got what in democracy in in, uh, in the world. We have a couple hundred year run right now. And, yeah. and if you look at, it doesn't matter if you look at France, if you look at Sweden, if you look at the United States, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like in a couple hundred years, and sure, every one of those countries, their nose is completely clean. They have no, nothing ever went wrong yeah. <laughs> in their pursuit of, of liberty and, and freedom. Like, yeah. like it's a farce, right? Because like when you give someone the autonomy, um, you're, you're basically giving them a license to hurt you and yeah. they will, yeah. and they're going to do it. Right. And, and those, those minutiae have to be worked out over time. That, that, that's where you start assessing, like, what is the minimum amount of order that's needed for the society to function properly, um, without those transgressions between people and 10 years is just, it's just not enough. Yeah. We could go a lot longer on this topic, but we're going to, I'm going to stop us there. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to actually wrap up our series on Iron Gold. Just going to give a couple final thoughts on Lysander and just wrap everything up. So uh, thank you for listening so far and we'll be back in a moment. I love coffee because of its taste, but also for the caffeine. Sadly, I can't always have great tasting coffee in my pocket or my bag, but I can easily carry around Neuro's energy and focus gum with me wherever I am. This gum has a great peppermint or cinnamon flavor, and it also has 80 milligrams of natural caffeine per serving, giving you that necessary boost of energy wherever you need it. All Neuro Mints and gum are vegan, sugar-free, aspartame-free, and gluten-free. And right now, when you order from their website, getneuro.com, you can get 15% off your next order with our promo code, HAILREAPERPOD. Go get some today. You will not regret it. That's getneuro.com, G-E-T, N-E-U-R-O and use our promo code at checkout to get 15% off your next order. Hail Reaper Pod. Okay, Jeremy, we're going to wrap this up. Let's do some final thoughts on uh, Lysander here. This uh, very interesting character. Do you have anything you we haven't said yet that you feel like you want to just kind of toss your hat in the ring for? Like anytime you, you wrap up a good paper, sometimes you just reiterate a few points. So I think in summary... <laughs> In summary. In summary, um, I enjoy Lysander. I I enjoy his character. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you, I'm not saying I like Lysander as a person. He wouldn't be a good hang in real life to me. No, bad hang. I hope him to become that good hang. But (laughs) but right now he's not. But Pierce wrote him beautifully. Wrote him as an amazing way to view a certain remnant a certain people within this structure um, that is a true fallout of Pierce's world after the rising. And for that, for these questions that Pierce was able to invoke, um, for the ability to honestly look at the costs from an emotional and fear-driven standpoint, um, and at least giving it 
credence in, in that what it deserves thought for. Not so much that you that you validate it, but you can think about it. I, I think Lysander's POV is extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. And in those greater themes of the book, you know, what is the cost of liberty? Is it worth it? Who bears the cost? Is that right? All of these concepts floating around that Pierce is asking, I think Lysander is a is a tool that can't be taken out of the equation. Yeah. Like you can hate him all you want, but if you remove his POV, I think you have a very incomplete view and ability to think these things through with Pierce. And and obviously he wrote him for a reason. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I'll say again, like he's just a young knucklehead. <laughs> like like we, we all yeah. have a nephew like this or we all have, <laughs> right? Everyone knows this dumb kid mm-hmm. who is getting pulled in all directions, who's coming of age, who's trying to find right. themselves and who, yeah, who thinks they're right. And what they are is they're on the threshold of their life, but they're still, and this is where like my, my own opinion starts rolling in. Right. And this is probably, if I'm just being completely honest and, and open, it's like, this is probably part of why I do like Lysander as a POV is because he's not beyond hope mm-hmm. because Lysander hasn't walked far down that path yet. And yes, for people who know the series as a whole, sure. Like some of these things get validated a little bit more, but he's not beyond saving. And, that, and that's why, as long as that conversation remains, as long as I can debate people. <laughs> yeah. And the, at the date of this recording, Lightbringer has not come out yet. <laughs> that's right. At the date of this recording, the Lightbringer does not hit the, hit the stores. So as long as I am still able to debate people in good faith, that Lysander could have a redemption arc, then I believe that I I should hope for this character, that I should have compassion and sympathy, and I should want to bring this character back into the fold of the rising, right? Bring him back under Cassius's care Mm -hmm. because Lysander could do something good, I think, in this world. Like I, I see it, I see where that pen of Pierce, well, really it's a keyboard, of Pierce could take this character and I, and I truly love the potential there. And it, and it does sadden me that he's not walking down that way right now, but he's not beyond hope yet. I agree. I, everything you said, honestly, like I, I feel like that was really well-spoken. You know, because Lightbringer isn't out yet, because Red God isn't out yet, there's two books remaining in the series. I hope that this conversation, you're proven and I am proven right because we share that same thought, share that same sentiment. And there's, <laughs> there's gonna be probably a lot of people that if that doesn't happen, they're going to bring this episode up and go, you guys are really bad at this. And we're like, you know what? Sorry, we're, we are. Okay, I, admit it, but. Yeah, and that's that's fair if they do, but yeah. I'm not going to apologize because what did I do? I hope for the best in a character. Sorry. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So yeah, sorry that I wanted to see the best in, in people and humanity and exactly. even in fictional people. I root for them to, I root for them to be as the, the best version of themselves, truly, yeah. you know? Because we do think that there's a potential, like you said, there's such a potential for this character because he has a lot of unique qualities to the story that he adds in just by being himself, that how unique and how cool would they be if they're utilized on the other side? Mm-hmm. So let's just give a quick wrap up here. This is the end of Iron Gold, at least us talking about it. And uh, eventually we'll move on to talking about Dark Age and Lightbringer and all these other books. But let's just kind of give me a, you know, just a quick thing on how you feel about the book Iron Gold, the series, anything that you wanted to throw in there. 
I, I mean, before we started, when I first read the book series, this was my favorite book. Um, mm-hmm. It still is. I know that darn Reddit, you know, with <laughs> the majority of people out there. Golden uh, Sun is, I think, still the majority favorite. Yeah. And Iron Gold and, is usually the last. And I get it, and for good reason. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, the Iron Gold being in last, and I know what people are saying, right? They're, they're like us. They're not, they're talking about B pluses and A minuses. They're not talking yeah. about Fs. But still, I just, I don't understand how such a quality book gets put at the bottom. Um, yeah. And the other books are phenomenal. Obviously, I love the series. We're doing a podcast on it. <laughs> um, but this one, for me, asks the most of the reader. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give to the reader as much as it asks of them. Yeah. And I think Pierce is, has given us so much. And when he asks us questions, when he asks us to think very critically about our ideas, about our worldviews and our philosophies and how they pertain to his book and would work out, I like that. And I think I want to engage in that with Pierce. I think I, I like walking down that road. And as much as I like sitting in a theater seat and just being given a great story, I think when you take something as complex as this and wrap it up with all these questions and all this thought process, it's extremely valuable. And unlike the other books, uh, this is really interesting because unlike the other books where I'm taking on these emotional rides, Mm -hmm. I, I... Name the emotion, Pierce has given it to me, right? And uh, I can slam my book down and I can walk into the other room and that's it. My emotions are over. Uh, I don't take them with me. And when I read Iron Gold, these are concepts and ideas that I dwell on that stay with me. That when I'm laying in bed at night, I start thinking about them and how they actually pertain to the real world that I'm in, how they, how they pertain to my life and how mm-hmm. I see the world. I don't care if it's a fictional world or if it's a, a real world. These are concepts from history that Pierce has invoked and they're relevant to both stories. And this is the book that makes me think that critically. This isn't my favorite book. Just on a pure personal level, uh, Morningstar is my favorite book because of the sentimentality it holds for me. And just the, it just came, I think it came at a time in a reading. It was just a very special time for me to read that book. But I do think that this is Pierce's best work. Like Iron Gold is far and away so critical and so thought provoking and so challenging. And a, a lot of things you said, and I just think it's his absolute best work. I think Dark Age has some questions like that, but there's a lot more narrative focus on war and things happening and kind of almost the results of Iron Gold are put into Dark Age, as well written of a book as that is. But it challenges me on history, things in the past, and it challenges me on things to come and what things might happen. And I see pieces of Iron Gold in our world and I think that's really unique and a little frightening at times, but in a good way. And I just really appreciate his re-entry to the story um, when he didn't have to. Like he didn't have to write a second series. Like, I don't think that anyone was like, people wanted more, right? Like everyone wants more. You always want the sequel. Yeah. But it's like, he really bypassed, I think some <laughs> of the, the expectations and gave us something very different. I think that's like, that's some of the reasons why people don't love the book the way that I think maybe you and I do because it is so different. But I'm glad we have it. I'm glad the entry is there. So that's what I'll say about Iron Gold and I'm glad that you, Jeremy, and I, you and I got to talk about it and, and talk about it in our way, which is, uh, you know, fun. 
it's just fun to talk about these things and, and kind of bring our phone calls onto, onto microphones. Absolutely. That's it. We talked about Iron Gold. So until next time, Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. The Hail Reaper team is Jeremy, Mathar, Janelle, and myself, Philip. All artwork was done by friend of the podcast, Jeff Halsey. Our theme music, The Gordian Knot, was composed by Jacob Albaum, with production and sound design by Tim Bell. A huge thank you to Pierce Brown for creating the Red Rising saga and fostering our passion for books. And thanks to all you listening, especially our patrons. If you want to learn how to become a Hail Reaper Howler and get additional content, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Reaper. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at Hail Reaper Pod, and leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others like you discover the show and is much appreciated. Until next time, Hail Reaper. <laughs>